Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2. 2 Kings, chapter 2. And as you're doing that, I'll invite you to stand. Let me just uh, say a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, this week, uh, on Wednesday night, we have our, our annual congregational meeting. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. I'd love to see you uh, join us. This is a family event. You know, when we, when we are part of a church, being a part of a church doesn't mean you just show up on a Sunday morning. It, it means that you're a part of a community. We kind of, uh, we, we do things together. This is one of those events. We're going to have the uh, uh, meal, obviously, at 545, just some soup and supper. Very, very uh, casual kind of a deal. And then we're going to share. We're going to, we're going to praise the Lord, really. It's going to be a lot of praising the Lord in regards to what he's accomplished and what he's doing in our congregation right now, but also a, a chance to think about what's next. My goodness, 2020 is just a, a couple of months away here, and we're going to talk about our ministry in reference to that. For those of you who are really nerdy and love this kind of stuff, I want you to know that in the back we have minutes and an agenda, and uh, you can look through the budget and that kind of a thing. If you'd like to take that, uh, just grab some of those sheets in the back. You can bring that with you, and we'll, we'll talk through those issues as well. But I wanted you to know that you're invited. I'd love to see you there. And then next Sunday, we're going to be doing a celebration. We're going to do a dedication of this facility. Now, the church, again, is not a place. We come to gather together to worship a person. But, but God has blessed us, and we want to uh, sanctify this place as a holy place for God's ministry to occur here. And so I invite you to be a part of this celebration. Now, a couple of things you need to be aware of. Our children's choir is going to be singing. There's going to be communion that we'll be sharing for the first time here. And then uh, uh, we're going to have some baptisms, too. And I wanted to make special note of that, because if you've never been baptized, if you've received Christ as your Savior, and you would like to participate in that marvelous demonstration, of a testimony uh, to, the, to that salvation that God has provided you. I invite you to uh, let us know, and we'll uh, uh, invite you to be a part of, of that celebration as well. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, to next week and, and all that God is going to be doing. But here we are in 2 Kings chapter 2. Let's, uh, let's hear what the Lord has for us today, beginning with verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. Be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing at the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. 
Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. May God have his blessing to his word. You can be seated. Don't you just love these Old Testament stories? Just fascinating. Well, it, in my library, I have a book that I will find myself often just perusing. It's entitled, They Went that Away," And each chapter is a description surrounding the death of a famous or infamous person. And it is interesting reading for sure. One of the accounts concerns Elvis Presley, the rock and roll king. Now, maybe I am dating myself a bit here, but I remember when he died... How many of you remember that? Yeah, yeah, okay. When I was eight years old, it was such a shock to my family. But even more I find interesting is my wife Mary says that her mom actually cried. This good pastor's wife cried when she heard the news on August 16th, 1977. The article, uh, the, 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 the chapter recounts his popularity. Even after Elvis ballooned to 250 pounds and was bulging out of his white gold-studded jumpsuit and sold out concerts. But as you probably know, Elvis was addicted to pills. He had just had two cavities filled. He couldn't sleep, so he got up, he took a book into his lavish bathroom at Graceland, and when his fiancée woke up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, she found the 42-year-old singer slumped in a fetal position on the floor where he had fallen out of his chair. He died officially of an erratic heartbeat. Now, 10 drugs were found in his blood, including codeine, morphine, and quaaludes. The levels were enough to kill most people, but Elvis's long addiction had so increased his tolerance that doctors said the drugs did not directly cause his death. His doctor, however, was tried, but interestingly acquitted, of illegally prescribing drugs after it was learned that he had prescribed 5,000 pills for the star in the last seven months of his life, 19,000 in the last two and a half years of his life. But as you have heard, Elvis still lives. Elvis, Inc. makes more money after he died than when he, when he was alive. The book says, and I quote, The only thing remarkable about the death of Elvis Presley is that it didn't seem to slow up his career at all. It probably isn't much of an exaggeration to say that of all the superstars who have died, Elvis's death the when and how of it 
made the least difference to the legend. It concludes, suffice it to say, the king may be dead, but long lives the king indeed. Now, that may be proclaiming in rather poetic fashion that Elvis lives, but the truth is, a man who was extremely talented, very good-looking, exceedingly wealthy, died a senseless and tragic death at 42. Now, in our study of Elijah this morning, we discover that Elijah is only one of two men in the Scriptures who never really died. He was taken up by God in a chariot of fire. And this was witnessed by his understudy, Elisha, a man with a similar name and with a similar mission. Elijah knew in some way that his time had come and he was about ready to meet his maker. And so he told Elisha to remain at Gilgal and he would go on alone. Now, it's interesting to me that a company of prophets were all aware that Elijah or Elijah's time had come. And so they say to Elisha, do you know the Lord is going to take your master today? And the response of Elisha is telling, yes, I know, so be quiet. Elisha was none too eager to say goodbye to his mentor, to his friend. Even more, Elisha refuses to stay behind. So he follows Elijah to Gilgal, and then we see him follow him to Bethel, and then to Jericho, and finally they come to the banks of the Jordan River. You remember the song, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see coming for to carry me home? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. And so Elijah comes to the Jordan River, and The scriptures describe him taking off his cloak. He rolls it up and he strikes the water with it. Now, of course, we see an image here. We remember when Moses goes to the Red Sea and he takes his his staff over the water and the water divides. Well, here we see now that Elijah, or Elijah striking the water of the Jordan River and his cloak parts the water. And these two men are allowed to walk across on dry land. Elijah then turns to his understudy and says, what can I do, before, do for you before you are taken up or before I'm taken? And Elisha responds, sir, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, it seems to me on the surface, we might think that sounds like a little bit of an arrogant request. I want to be twice as powerful and influential as you are. But Elisha, you need to understand, is not expressing the desire for a ministry that's twice as great as Elijah's. No, this is, this is a, a word in terms of inheritance. The inheritance law assigned a double portion of the father's possessions to the firstborn son. So Elisha is saying, Elijah, I want to be your son. I want to be just like you. Let me inherit your spirit and let me be like your firstborn son. And Elijah, you remember here, says, well, it's not for me to say whether you can have my power or not, but God's. If you see with your eye what is about to transpire, then it will be yours. Otherwise, not. And suddenly, as they're walking together, 
This is hard to understand, but suddenly a chariot, a fire, and horses of fire separate the two men. And then Elijah suddenly goes up to be with the Lord in the whirlwind. And we see this description. Elijah is taken up, but he does not die. There is no body left behind. He never breathed his last. One moment he was talking to Elisha, and the next moment he's talking with Yahweh, his God. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. And suddenly Elisha says, I see it, my father, my father. Now that's that's because he realizes he's an inheritor. He's a son. He's going to be granted his desire. And he sees the chariots and the fire of the horsemen of Israel. Now, this is an interesting story. But why do we have it? Why, why does God translate, that's the term we often use in reference to the story, why does God translate Elijah into heaven in such a miraculous way? What can, what can we learn from this account? My, my sense is, is that if we give it some time and we begin to study this, that we, we will learn some critical lessons about life and death and ministry. What, one lesson I see here is that, that I think that this story is a tribute to the faithfulness of Elijah. You know, one of the things as we have done over these last few weeks as we've studied his life and his ministry is you cannot but help be moved by Elijah's faithfulness to God. Elijah was from the hills. Remember, he was kind of a, a country boy. He spoke with an accent. And yet God says, I've chosen you to go and confront the king of Israel. That was going to be hard for Elijah, but he did it anyway. And then after he confronts the king, you remember, he has to go into hiding. The Lord takes him to the Kareth Ravine. He is so isolated. He's so far from anything or anyone else that the Lord has to provide him food by vultures, dropping food and he sits there by a brook just waiting. And then, and then of course, the, the brook dries up. And God says to him, Elijah, I want you to go to Sidon, a foreign nation. I want you to allow a, a poor widow to take care of you. Elijah doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand it all, but he's faithful. He obeys each step of the way. God said, Elijah, I want you to challenge 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah obeys. Even after the great victory, with his life on the line and feeling very depressed, Elijah still obeys God, seeks God, hears from God, is faithful to God. And when God said, I want you to confront King Ahab, and then I want you to confront his son, King Isaiah, at great risk to your own life, I want you to tell these men, there is a judgment and they are going to die. Elijah was faithful. Faithful, faithful. Yeah, it seems to me that faithfulness is all too often a vanishing virtue from Christians today. We, we will obey God as long as it's easy to do. 
and doesn't cost me too much. We will obey God as long as he prospers us with good health and wealth. But if obedience becomes inconvenient or difficult, we'll just do our own thing. Debbie Freed told me the other night a story about the faithfulness of her granddaughter, Taylor, to our children's choir. One Wednesday night recently, the family routine was going to be a little out of whack because of schedules, and it meant that the girls might end up being late to children's choir. But her granddaughter, Taylor, who I don't know, how old is Taylor? She's probably five or six. She's very young, and she's just a little sweet thing. But she said, ah, we can't be late to children's choir. And she was very concerned about this. We can't be late to children's choir. And she was very serious. And so Debbie told her, listen, it's, it's going to be okay, but why are you so worried about being late to children's choir? And Taylor said, because when we are late, they give us the finger. <laughs> well, well, that surprised Debbie. And kind of frankly, it surprised me when she was telling the story. I thought, what in the world is happening in our children's choir? <laughs> and, and so Debbie inquired a little more, what, what do you mean that, that Miss Nancy and Miss Kristen give you the finger? And she said, well, Miss Nancy gets her finger out and says, since you're late, you need to stand right there, or you need to stand right there. And she says, I want to stand by my friends, but she tells me with her finger where I have to stand. You see, when you're, when you're faithful, you don't get the finger. <laughs> Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do you hear that? Even when life falls apart, even when death threatens, even when you don't understand, even when you don't make the team or, or you don't keep that job, or you be obedient. Even when you don't understand life isn't going smoothly, you don't quit. You keep going to church. You keep making your money honestly. You keep disciplining your children faithfully. You keep being faithful to your mate. You keep praying. You keep restraining your tongue. You keep resisting the temptations of the flesh. You keep worshiping God. And in the end, the Bible says, God rewards faithfulness with life. Are you faithful this morning? I, I, I read the story this past week of a restaurant owner in Dallas, Texas, who had had a dramatic born-again experience. He had come to Christ. But as a result of his coming to Christ, he determined he would, as a, a restaurant owner, he believed that, that he needed to get rid of all the liquor items on the menu of his five barbecue restaurants. He also decided he would stop under-reporting his sales to avoid certain taxes. Now, if a man would go to that extent to please the Lord, I suspect you would expect me to say that God prospered his business. But the result was just the opposite. He went bankrupt. 
And the news reported, reforms may be good for the soul, but they aren't necessarily healthy for the bottom line. Now, the question is, how faithful are you when God doesn't work it all out in a nice, sweet fashion? God has not commanded us to be successful. He's commanded us to be faithful. He hasn't commanded us to be happy. He's commanded us to be obedient. And and Elijah, one time after another, would obey God, even, even though it didn't make sense all the time, even though it would not have been easy. There was just this sweet relationship the two of them developed together and sometimes it wasn't very successful but at the end of his life God rewarded his faithfulness by exempting him from death wow are you faithful now that leads me to the second thing that I think the scriptures are telling us here. And, and I, I think that, that there's a second reason that God would have us think about this story and understand it, that God took Elijah without having him die. And I believe it's this, that, that this story is a type of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, what do I mean by that? That this, a type is a shadow, a foreshadowing, a, 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 an example of. In, in the Old Testament, we see many types or examples of something that will be fulfilled in the Old Test or in the New Testament, I should say. For example, the Old Testament sacrificing of a lamb was a type of the coming of Jesus. You know that the Jewish people were told to make a young lamb, to, to take a young lamb without spot or blemish, and they were to bring it to the temple and kill it, and blood would be sprinkled on the the altar for atonement of their sins. Now, the blood of animals could not take away sin, but it was a type, it was a picture, it foreshadowed. God was conditioning the people of Israel to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And so when Jesus stepped onto the scene, you remember that John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was without spot, blemish, no sin. And he was sacrificed on the altar of the cross, and the blood was sprinkled for the forgiveness of our sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ is our Passover Lamb. He is our perfect sacrifice. And the Old Testament is just full of these types. Now, some are rather obvious. Some are more vague and and we have to ask questions. Some are speculative. But I believe that Elijah's translation into heaven is a type of what is going to occur when Jesus Christ gathers every believer unto himself on that final day. You see, one day we believe that Jesus is coming back to the world. Jesus said, I I go to prepare a place for you, but I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And and the Bible tells us that there's going to be a sharp contrast between his first coming, and we're going to celebrate that soon, and his second coming. The first time he came almost unnoticed. He came as a baby, hidden away in a lowly manger. But the next time he comes, 
There's going to be the sound of a trumpet and every eye will see him. He will come in power and he will come to judge the world. And the question is, what is going to happen to Christian people, those who have received Christ, who are alive when Jesus Christ returns? And the answer is, they will not die. Like Elijah. They will be caught up in the air. To meet the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 reads this way. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. But listen to this. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. Yeah, we can get excited about that. Just as Elijah is caught up in this whirlwind to meet the Lord, we who are Christians will be caught up in the air to meet him too. Now, sometimes it's called the rapture. And, and you won't find that word in Scripture, but the concept is important to understand. Now, it, it, it's a biblical idea that when that trumpet arrives, when you hear that sound, we will be whisked up to meet him in the air. Now, if you follow end time arguments, you know that there's some disagreement about what happens to the unbeliever at that point. Some feel everybody is going to be caught up on that day, and that will be the day of judgment. Other believe, others believe that the Christians will be taken away, and the non-Christians will be left behind in chaos and in disarray with a terrible time of tribulation to follow. Well, regardless of which theory proves right, there will be millions of people who will never die. Those who belong to Christ will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I, 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 I think about that, and I almost get excited. I'm ready to go right now. Lord, come quickly. Although I really would love to see Ohio State beat Penn State next week, and, and then Michigan after that. I'd love to see that, but then, Lord, come. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I know you're... So there's this type, and we see it. We see the picture right there with Elijah. Now, I think there is at least one other purpose that Elijah is translated here. I think this also serves as a testimony of the power to every believer, the power that's available to each and every one of us. We see this. When Elijah is caught up by this chariot of fire, it is witnessed by Elisha, his successor. Uh, remember, if Elisha saw what had happened, it meant that he would have a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He says, my father, my father, I see it. The, the, the horseman, the, the chariot of Israel. And so when the, the teacher is gone, Elisha sits there alone, and Scripture says that he rends his garments, he tears his garments, I think because he realized he was in the presence of God. You see, Elisha never forgot that scene. He knew that there was life 
beyond this life. And he knew that God had appointed him for this great mission work. Now, we didn't read this, but if you keep following along in this chapter, he picks up this cloak that had been left by Elijah, and he went back and he stood on the banks of the Jordan River, and he took the cloak and he struck the water, and just like Elijah, the water departs. In fact, verse 15 says, the company of prophets that we've seen in this story of Jericho were watching, and they said the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. Charles Swindoll points out an important principle that I think needs to be remembered here, and that is when, when a man of God dies, nothing of God dies. Elijah was gone, but God was still there. His power was still available. And when the work of Elijah ended, the work of Elisha just began to pick up. Each man then was a vessel through whom God's spirit flowed, and God can always find another vessel, another leader. When Moses died, Joshua began to lead. When Elijah was translated, Elisha picks up the mantle. And I think that's a reminder to us that, listen, folks, our hope is in heaven, our hope is in the Lord, and it's not in any one person. Listen, if Jeff Schultz goes tomorrow, this church should not skip a beat. God is going to provide. He's going to, you know, if I go right now, Dave or, or Tim or whoever's in here, pick it up, finish the sermon, put me aside, and we'll keep going. <laughs> our hope is in the power of God. And what he's able to do. And sometimes he uses the power of his power through people. But here's the thing. Someone pointed out that there are eight recorded miracles of Elijah. Eight times when Elijah produced a miracle. Do you know how many miracles are recorded with Elisha? Sixteen. Elijah raised someone from the dead. Do you know how many men Elisha raised from the dead? Two. Elisha had prayed, Lord, give me a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And God responded. Now, this is our hope. I remember that 500 witnesses, according to the New Testament, claimed to have seen the resurrected Christ. Their lives were so changed that they were willing to die for what they had seen and come to know. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things because I am going to the Father. Jesus said, because I go... Because I go to the Father, I will send you the Holy Spirit, and you will do greater works than me. He has called us, everyone in this room, to even greater works. Now, how is that possible? Greater than feeding the 5,000? Wait a second. And yet, if you think about it, how many people today are being fed through the ministries of the church? Across the world. 
How many Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes will this church send out and distribute? How many thousands? We talked about 18, 20,000 right here in this little church. Greater than healing the sick? Well, how many hospitals were founded in Jesus' name? How many have received sight and, 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 and have the lame have walked and because of the burden of compassion given by our Lord Jesus Christ? How many people have come to know God because of the church's witness? You begin to think about it, millions and millions and millions of people. So here's the message. Are you faithfully obedient to Christ's calling in your life? Have you been faithful? Are you prepared for his second coming? Is Jesus Christ your savior? And thirdly, because you know him, are you a testimony of the Holy Spirit's power working in our world today? Because I know God. I'm making a difference in this world of faithfulness and compassion and obedience to his spirit. That's the calling. Jesus arose and he went to heaven. He, he went and ascended into heaven and he said, I go because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit upon you. So be prepared for that trumpet when it comes. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you that this story reminds us of your grace and reminds us, Lord, of a challenge that we each have, that we might be faithful to the calling to which we've been called. Lord, I pray that when that trumpet comes, when that archangel shouts, when our final hour has come to this earth, Lord, we will have been found faithful. Lord, I pray that everyone here knows exactly where they stand with you, that if they don't know you as their personal Savior, they would recognize their need for you today. They would confess their sins and acknowledge their need for a Savior. That you would fill them up with your Holy Spirit and that, Lord, you would allow us to live lives of obedience and faithfulness. That we might shine with these greater works that you've called us to. Not because, Lord, that saves us, but because it gives evidence to the world that you are alive and that you are working. May we shine as Elisha did. May others see us and may they say of us, the, the, the spirit of Jesus is upon that person. The spirit of Jesus is upon Jeff. The spirit of Jesus is upon Tim. The spirit of Jesus is on Debbie. May it become so evident that, Lord, others would come to want to know you too. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Stand and let's sing together these words. The only thing I want in life is to be known for love in Christ. To build his church to love his bride. And make his name known far and wide. For this cause I live. For this cause I die. 
soul prize regardless of the joy or trial when agonizing questions arise in Jesus all my hope abides for this cause I live for this cause I die I surrender all for the cause of Christ, all I once held dear, I will leave behind. For my joy is this, oh, the cause of Christ. Jesus, my Jesus, for your glory, for your name. Jesus, my Jesus, I will only sing your praise. And Jesus, Jesus, my Jesus, for your glory, for your name. Jesus, my Jesus, I will only sing your praise. For this cause I live, for this cause I die, I surrender all. For the cause of Christ, all I want I will leave behind for my joy is this, oh, the cause of Christ. It is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eye. I pray it said about my life that I lived more to build your name than mine. If you know these words, sing it with me. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. We'll sing, we'll sing and shout the victory.
Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I love that picture. This morning, God has a, a chariot waiting for each one of us. He wants to claim us as his own for eternity. We will be with the Lord forever, the Apostle Paul says. So my friend, I, I pray that you're ready. I pray that you have humbled yourself and confessed your sin and acknowledged your need for a great Savior. And he's given us the story to remind us of that need. And we are not there or we are not going to be swept up because of our righteousness or our faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness, the purity, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, in that we, we celebrate, we are in awe, we praise you. But Lord, thank you that that spirit that came upon Jesus Christ now is, is in us. And may we, Lord, to the best of our ability, allow your spirit to control our lives, that we might be people of faithfulness, obedience, compassion, truth. Lord, help us to shine with the glory of Christ today and always. We ask this in his name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.
I'm not. 